Chinese medicine, the web that has no weaver, page two hundred and ninety-five, chapter ten, the web that has no weaver, and Mount Sinai, or on the location of truth. This book has presented an overview of the Chinese perceptions of the human landscape. Both the basic knowledge and the artistry has been considered. The patterns of disharmony are the framework of this investigation. And so, in a sense, they comprise a theory. The Western mind, however, requires that a theory sum up phenomena and formulate a general principle to explain their nature and relationship. A theory implies a truth. Are patterns of disharmony true? This is a tricky question that brings us to the abyss that separates Chinese and Western thought. The Chinese worldview is circular and self-contained. It imagines that the universe is a whole, a macrocosm, made up of the constant unfolding and flux of yin and yang. Chinese medicine, like Chinese thought in general, begins and ends with this notion of a whole, within which all the parts are related to each other and also to the whole. The Chinese physician begins with the knowledge of the whole, made up of the countless details codified in traditional medical texts. Through clinical experience, he or she develops a sensitivity. The physician aspires, through an effort of years, to capture the tradition's artistry. The physician learns to embrace the microcosm of another person. He or she learns to feel his or her own microcosm. But is any of this real? It is more than the imagination. Are these patterns of the harmony and disharmony real? The concept of patterns describes the movement of yin and yang in the human being, but also exemplifies the way in which yin and yang unfold in the universe. The eight principal patterns interior and exterior, deficiency and excess, cold and hot, and yin and yang, interrelate in the person as they do in the universe. Any pattern of disharmony that emerges when these aspects of yin and yang intertwine with the patient's specific science is thus a particular manifestation of the universal movement of yin and yang. All phenomena partake of the whole. Patterns of disharmony are real and true in this sense that they provide a way to perceive the Chinese notion of what has been called the web that has no weaver. The web is the macrocosm, the universe that is considered to be uncreated but to exist through the dictates of its own inner nature, that is, through the constant unfolding of yin and yang. There is no truth behind or above the things we see. There is no creator or first cause, yet the things we see continue, and their continuing is the eternal process of the universe. Perhaps only the words of a Taoist philosopher can take us any closer to this paradoxical reality. The operations of heaven are profoundly mysterious. It has water levels for leveling, but it does not use them. It has plumb 
lines for setting things up light, but it does not use them. It works in deep stillness. Thus, it said, heaven has no form, and yet the myriad things are brought up to perfection. It's like the most impalpable of featureless essence, and yet the myriad changes are all brought about by, by it. So also the sage is buzzed about nothing, and yet the thousand executives of state are effective in the highest degrees. This may be called the untaught teaching and the wordless edict. The Chinese description of reality does not penetrate to a truth. It can only be a poetic description of a truth that cannot be grasped. The heart, lung, and kidneys of this volume are not a physical heart, lung, or kidneys. Instead, they are personae uh, in a descriptive drama of health and illness. For the Chinese, this description of the eternal process of yin and yang is the only way to try to explain eternal uh, uh, either the working of the universe or the working of the human being. And it is enough, because the process is all there is. No underlying truth is ever within reach. The truth is immanent in everything and is a process itself. Can a system of knowledge rooted in such a metaphysics have anything to communicate to Western medicine? By now, Chinese medicine, especially acupuncture, has achieved some acceptance in the biomedical enterprise. Acupuncture is the object of widespread interest, and attempts are being made to integrate certain of its techniques into the mainstream of biomedical practice. In some areas of society, the practitioner of Chinese medicine is even enjoying a kind of vogue. People have always had inflated expectations about medicine, and the Chinese doctor can all too easily become a focus for those who hope for a cure-all, an infallible elixir, a, a sideshow potion that the medical establishment establishment either doesn't know or conspires to suppress. The current turning away from biomedicine, however, cannot be explained solely on the basis of unrealistic expectations. It's more likely that many people have begun to see that too often biomedicine is simply not con concerned with the general well-being because it can only assess very small, discrete bits of information. Also, it is rooted in a society whose routine processes not only provoke stress but contaminate the environment to such an extent that every new comfort may conceal a new threat to life. Our medicine parallels our society. New cures often produce side effects of unexpected virulence. Moreover, our central medical institution the hospital is structured like nothing so much as healthy factory. A contradiction in terms. And probably most important, people feel that there is no place for their feelings, intentions, beliefs, 
and values in the biomedical perspective. Biomedicine often leaves a person in the waiting room. Chinese medicine offers a different vision of health and disease, one that is implicitly critical of biomedicine because it refuses to see a complaint or disease as separable from the rest of a person. Most important, Chinese medicine attempts to locate illness within the unbroken context or field of an individual's total physical and psychological being. It aims to heal through treatments that encompass the whole of the individual as closely as possible. In contrast, the ideal of biomedicine is to prove with laser-like accuracy, penetrating to the microscopic agent of disease in the tissue, the cell, and ultimately the DNA molecule. The chief weakness of biomedicine, in short, is that it tends not to see the whole. Chinese medicine has other notable strengths. Chinese remedies are sometimes effective and they are generally gentler and safer. Chinese medicine, in addition, is better able than biomedicine to conceptualize illnesses arising from the complex interrelationships of physical and mental phenomena. Chinese, uh, Chinese medicine, because it emphasizes balance and relationship more than measurable quantity, can also frequently discover and treat a disorder before it is perceptible by the most sophisticated Western diagnostic techniques. Chinese medicine is capable of touching many places that evade the microscope and that, after all, constitute human reality. Chinese medicine has an ability to measure quality. Labels such as dampness or deficient blood are ultimately metaphoric brush-stroke images of the texture of a human life. Modern biomedicine, following, another, following on the heels of the scientific revolution, broke the living community a continuity of experience, the actual texture of human reality, into measurable units. Reality becomes perceptible only in relationship to a projection of units of space, time, motion, and matter. For many modern doctors, the uh, idiosyncratic and personal response to illness. For example, the patient's desire to use many blankets, feelings, thoughts uh, concerning work, sense of values and meaning, has become varied in the transition from the traditional to the scientific. This may have been appropriate at one point in history and led to many momental achievements in healthcare, but problems have arisen. Much that is human and medically effective may have been lost or remains to be discovered because modern healthcare too often avoids seeing human beings as self-conscious human beings with feelings, intentions, and self-created meaning. It can easily fail to recognize that the illness of real people are not simply isolatable events reductible to mechanical and experimental models. On the other hand, no host Chinese physician can fail to be awed by the achievements of biomedicine. 
by the ease with which are drugs such as streptomycin or techniques such as open heart surgery can penetrate to the core of disorders that Chinese medicine finds complex and intractable. Because Chinese medicine collects only external signs to perceive an overall form, it has blind spots of its own, and one of its greatest strengths, its perception of the body as a whole, can be its greatest weakness. For Chinese medicine can never separate the part from the whole, even when a clinical situation demands that the overall relationships be ignored and a particular part be treated directly. A tumor or a large gallstone uh, must sometimes be identified, isolated, and removed. Chinese medicine rarely does this. It lacks both the theory and the technique. And because it stresses quality and proportion, and sees quantity as secondary, Chinese medicine can be weak on prognosis. For example, most tumors that are fixed in location are thought to result from congealed blood and are, are treated by appropriate reharmonizing techniques. But Chinese medicine cannot easily focus on the tumor itself to determine whether it is malignant or banning. A good Chinese doctor can often sense that the disharmony is life-threatening, but this is not a central issue in the Chinese medical method. He or she cannot attempt to offer a quantifiable prognosis the way biomedicine can. Modern biomedicine is clear, precise, and definite. It has the short stroke of exact measurement as opposed to the more fallible stroke of artistic judgment. Its precision and technology allow swift intervention that can be crucial in life-threatening situations. Modern biomedicine and traditional Chinese medicine are two discrete systems of uh, theory and practice that have complementary strengths and weakness. They seem to need each other very much. Obviously, on a practical level, each system needs to share. If something helps the patient, it should be used. And in both Asia and the West, the two systems are learning how to clinically coexist. But on the theoretical level, can either system absorb anything of a genuine consequence from the other? On the level of thinking about health and illness, can there be mutual learning? On the Chinese side, such hope may be unreasonable. Although Chinese medicine has developed considerably in its history, this progress is a long spiritual uh, that moves forever around its point of origin, the ancient text. Since this point of origin is assumed to contain the seed of everything that can be known, all development is a, a form of slow ex exegesis within a broad conceptual framework. The ancient books are the language of Chinese medicine, and while the vocabulary can be expanded and ex enriched, the grammar and the syntax are fixed. Complete and self-contained, Traditional Chinese medicine is incapable of assimilating anything 
that challenges the fundamental assumptions. New ideas and some substances can be identified and even incorporated, but they can never expand or transform the fundamental matrix. So, vitamin B12 is very young, penicillin is very in, but there is nothing beyond yin and yang. Perhaps it's precisely because Chinese thought is uninterested in cause as circular and sees the universe as being in a state of spontaneous cooperation without a creator or regulator, that it lacks an impulse to go beyond its own organization of observations. There is no desire to discover an ultimate reality transcending phenomena, no need to go beyond the immanent. Chinese thought cannot expand or transcend its own limitations. Its concept of the unity of opposition calls for sharpened clarity and one-pointed vision, and it precludes the idea that humankind can ever attain higher levels of truth. Ultimately, returning as a movement of the Tao, this vision has abided through the millennia and undoubtedly it will endure and remain relevant. At first glance, biomedicine seems equally imperv impervious to alternate modes of perception. Given its current bureaucratic entrenchment, its disposition toward technological solutions, and its arrogant faith in its own destiny, a strong argument can be made that biomedicine will never see anything more in the Chinese system than a curious bag of tricks that needs of application of the scientific method to separate the wheat from the chef. Yet biomedicine has in recent years been increasingly critical of itself. Even within the inner sanctum, rumblings can be heard. An article in the Journal of the American Medical Association speaks of the limitations of the linear, reductionist approach in our attempt to describe natural phenomena. There is an acute awareness of the havoc that the modernist worship of science, science has wrought upon Western popular consciousness. Science can tell us nothing about an individual. Science speaks in, in terms of probabilities, of means, and standard devi deviations. The behavior of groups of people, not of individual entities. Biomedical philosophers have begun calling for the reintroduction of the personal experience into medicine. Objective evidence is valued to the exclusion of subjective evidence. If the shortcoming of modern biomedicine are to be effectively addressed, the very canons of medical evidence must be revised. Subjective evidence must be rehabilitated and rejuvenated with a better method of subjective clinical investigation. The connotation of subjective as idiosyncratic, irrational, unreliable, prejudiced, and especially beyond or beneath truth and falsehood must be exchanged for a 
view of the subjective, which sees it as the personal, the meaningful, the situated, and especially the concrete. Some Western physicians have begun to speak of a clinic of social poetics, where the task is to be open to being arrested or moved by certain fleeting, momentary occurrences in what patients do or say. For sometimes, in such moments, in our responding to the unfolding motion of their whole body and voice, as they respond to the circumstances in which they find themselves. We can begin to sense what the unique nature of their inner world of pain and suffering is like for them. Even the New England Journal of Medicine has shown glimpses of this dis- discontent. Medicine's traditional concern, primarily for the body and for physical disease, is well known. As are the widespread effects of the mind body dichotomy on medical theory and practice. I believe that this dichotomy itself is a source of the paradoxical situation in which doctors cause suffering in their care of the sick. The profession of medicine is being pushed and pulled into new areas, both it by its technology and by the demands of its patients. Attempting to understand what suffering is and how physicians might truly be devoted to its relief will require that medicine and its critics overcome the dichotomy between mind and body and the associated dichotomies between subjective and objective and between person and object. Ecological criticism of modern medicine has also brought forth new ideas. Microbial agents, disturbances in essential met- metabolic processes, defini- deficiencies in growth factors or in hormones, and physiological stress are now regard- regarded as specific causes of disease. Unquestionable Unquestionably, the doctrine of a specific etiology has been the most constructive force in medical research for almost a century in the theoretical and practical achievement to which it has led constitute the bulk of modern medicine. Yet, few are the cases in which it has provided a complete account of the causation of disease. Despite frantic, effort, frantic efforts, the causes of cancer, of arthrosclerosis, of mental disorders, and of the other great medical problems of our times remain undiscovered. Undisco- it is generally assumed that the cause of all diseases can end will be found in due time by bringing the big guns of science to bear on that problems. In reality, however, search for the causes may be a hopeless pursuit because most disease states are the indirect outcome of a constellation of circumstances rather than the direct result of single determinant factors. Paradoxically, these new ideas in Western medicine, ideas that point toward an awareness of human experience, 
and the totally totality of being, have arisen as a direct result of the Western arts to penetrate the phenomena and to find a transcendent truth behind them. Western thought, at its most noble and honest, is nourished by the constant tension between unknown and known, imperfect and perfect. Western humanity is quickened by a metaphysical dilemma. On the one hand, it was created in the image of the Almighty, and on the other, it was created from dust. Western humankind is enmeshed in creating and becoming. It labors in growth and development. Perhaps this is a cons consequence of a Judeo-Christian Judeo emphasis on an om omnipresent, transcendent, transcend, transcendent God making impossible the attainment of human perfection. Perhaps this idea is related to the Greek metaphysical notion that we are, we are what we are because of what we can become. In any case, it is an idea altogether missing in China, an attitude that contrasts sharply with the Chinese view of truth as inherent in the harmonious arrangement of the given. Western medicine can be criticized for insensitivity, for arrogance, for storming heaven, but the fact remains that, at its best, it's humble and humility is integral to the best scientific thought. For all its misuses, the idea of progress implies that not everything has been achieved, that more is yet to come. In order to remain scientific, medicine must believe that what is discovered uh, yet tomorrow may undermine and revolutionize everything it believes today. Western science in its idealized paradigm, unlike traditional Chinese thought, is necessarily receptive to the new. And there is now a new sense of organism, interconnectedness, quality, meaningfulness, and unity emerging on the frontiers of modern medicine. The development of Western thought is creating room for new models and theories. There is a perception that medicine needs art, progress needs wisdom, and precision needs vision. As science encounters Chinese medicine, Western investigation will inevitably intend to reduce the techniques of acupuncture and herbology to a biomedical Western model. Science will seek to test the practical Chinese claims of clinical efficacy. Beside these concrete investigations, can we hope that the uncanny Taoist spirit of interrelatedness will illuminate those places that evade the Western yardstick so that more than just new techniques are learned? By moving toward a view of human health and illness, that is both analytical and synthetic, the West may be able to create a richer paradigm of healing. While mystery and profound profundity, profundity can be found in both East and West, 
the more progressive insight lies in the West with its idea of creator and creating, being and becoming. In the dynamics of the Judeo-Christian Islamic transcendence creator or of Greek metaphysics can be found the seas, hope, and impetus for a constant striving toward progressive maturation, increased knowledge, and ever deeper recognition of truth. Dynamic revelation and unfolding are implicit in the dialectics of the West. The story is told that on Mount Sinai, in addition to the law, Moses was given a list of all diseases and their cures. This book was later destroyed by a pious king who was anxious to restore uh, humility among his subjects. At its best, Western medicine knows that we can never reconstruct this book, but it also knows that in the face of our own incomplete completeness, we must continue to try. The classical book of traditional East Asian medicine have been written. The Western book, which is always being created, will undoubtedly incorporate Chinese characters.